0: Commodore Jose Kurtz, welcome to Radio Canada International, and uh, thank you for taking my call from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean.
1: Yeah, thank you for for having me. It's a pleasure to join you.
0: Now, you are uh, the uh, commander of the NATO Standing Maritime Group 2. Uh, Just before we begin, can you explain what NATO Maritime uh, Group 2 does?
1: Yes, so the standing NATO Maritime Group 2 is one of four uh, ready groups available to NATO for tasks ranging from exercises to operational missions. And these four groups provide uh, capability, they show presence and demonstrate the alliance, the NATO alliance solidarity and strength uh, in various uh, theaters of operations or or area of operations. And those groups have made our allied nations uh, ships and assets um, that that work together to build and maintain uh, a readiness level ready to to, uh, uh, deliver capability where NATO needs it.
0: Which theater of operations uh, does the, the stand, standing uh, NATO Maritime Group 2 um, is responsible for?
1: So uh, SNMG-2 generally operate in the Mediterranean and Black Sea area. Uh, that's primarily where we will conduct our patrol and exercises, but these groups can be Fairly mobile. Uh, for instance, you mentioned that we are in the Atlantic, so, uh, so we did indeed come out of the Atlantic for, uh, for a brief period of activities uh, in, the, uh, in the eastern part of the Atlantic. And, uh, and, and, you know, we can be mobile as well. We can be, uh, we can be supplementing uh, other uh, standing groups in, in other areas if that's where the, the capability is required. Uh, you know, it speaks to the agility and the flexibility of those standing groups.
0: Now, if I understand correctly, you are currently on your second flagship. Can you explain uh, a bit what you have been doing over these past several months?
1: So, uh, so absolutely. So we joined. In fact, Canada took command of SNMG2 mid-June. We did that uh, at a, a point in time where uh, our currently deployed ship on SNMG2, HMCS Toronto, uh, was at month five of their uh, of their mission uh, of a six-month deployment. So we joined on board HMCS Toronto. They assumed uh, flagship duties from uh, our Dutch uh, counterparts. And my staff and I remain on board Toronto for about uh, six weeks. And just last week, uh, the next the Canadian deployer, H.M.C.S. Halifax, arrived in theater, and uh, we shifted flagship duties. And now we'll be on board Halifax for the remainder of, uh, of this command period. It's planned to be a six-month command from June until uh, end of uh, of the year, uh, at which point we'll turn over to uh, to another nation to take the next next rotation.
0: Now. No. Um... If I understand correctly, these are uh, the both frigates of uh, Halifax uh, class frigates. Are they like exact twins, or are there differences between these two ships?
1: So uh, Toronto and Halifax are absolutely uh, ships of the uh, of the same class when they were built. Uh, both went under uh, a midlife refit uh, just a few years ago uh, to give them a, a modernization uh, um, or a modernized fit to be able to take on uh, the, the second half of their operational life. Uh, when we did the modernization of the 12 frigates, uh, eight uh, were not fitted with uh, with the command fit; four were. So Toronto was not fitted with the, uh, the command fit, uh, Halifax is. And, and this is also one of the reasons why we, uh, we are doing the brunt or the, the most part of our command on board the Halifax is because Halifax is uh, fitted for uh, housing and accommodating a command staff for, uh, for commanding a, a group of ships. So a little bit of differences, but, but all in all, uh, with uh, Toronto's experience, five months in theatre, and really, again, these ships are, uh, uh, are, are, are quite versatile, and uh, Canadian sailors are also go-getter. We were able to, uh, to make the best of the month and a half on board Toronto, such that uh, while uh, you know, it was different getting there, uh, the outcome was, was quite similar.
0: Now, I don't know if you have sailed on other NATO operations, but I was wondering whether this one is different from others and if it is, in what ways?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, it's the, the essence of NATO, uh, those groups providing that, that uh, standing capability and showing the, the presence uh, conducting patrol in the name of the alliance, uh, the essence of it has not really changed. Uh, there's been some some morphing over the years, whereas, for instance, uh, uh, the Cold War era uh, had had very uh, uh, you know very unique, uh, uh, I guess, uh, activities and, and missions, and of course, the post 9/11 was very uh, was very focused on uh, on um, an article five uh, you know um uh, types of mission uh and now of course uh you know we're we're moving uh, uh our wow. i guess to, towards more like global effects such as as uh, uh, migration of people and illicit activities uh, but i think i think that the 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 being of the standing nato maritime group that's that's a consistent uh consistent factor I have a limited amount of experience with NATO personally. Um, I was supposed to deploy, in fact, I did deploy in 2008 uh, to what was going to be a very similar patrol to the one that I'm doing right now. Uh, it was with SNMG-1, but it was going to be a Mediterranean patrol and a, and a Black Sea deployment. Uh, but two weeks into our mission, uh, we were reassigned to uh, World Food Program uh, food escort mission off the Horn of Africa. Those were the uh, uh, the heightened days of uh, of piracy of the Horn of Africa. So uh, just a brief period uh, early in the six-month deployment and as we transited back towards Canada, another two-week period. So my personal experience, a uh, little bit uh, limited, um, probably because uh, I'm, a, I'm a sailor who's, who's navigated uh, on both coasts, not necessarily solely focused on the East Coast, where uh, operations are, are uh, very frequently uh, geared towards uh, working with the Alliance.
0: Now, uh, given that, how do you personally? Did you prepare for this assignment?
1: So, uh, there were a number of of activities to prepare for uh, for this deployment, both uh, individual and and also uh, as a team, uh, gathering my Canadian staff and then integrating and in eventually with the international staff. That is, uh, that is. Uh, um, uh, uh, present on board the, the flagship so uh the first activity uh consisted in in visiting the uh the previous uh command um so it was a, a dutch commander and, and his dutch flagship uh and experience uh, a couple of days at sea and and get a feel for what we call the battle rhythm is how does a day unfold uh, from a perspective of a commander and staff and uh, have the uh, the chance to ask questions and and uh, uh, learn about uh, the mission, but from a, from a day-to-day uh, business. And after that, I went right to our naval headquarters, our NATO uh, naval headquarters in Northwood, and I received uh, two days worth of in briefs across. All aspects of uh, of uh, you know uh, naval command from uh, you know uh, the, the, from a personnel uh, policy perspective to uh, intelligence operations and plans uh, public affairs uh, so series of very uh, very detailed briefs to uh, to be aware of what my responsibilities entailed and the reach back to my chain of command uh, like what kind of support do I have? and then what are the expectations uh, from their standpoint uh, for me as a commander working under their chain of command. And I went back to Canada, and I did a bit of uh, pre-deployment preparation, so individual training to make sure that uh, my personal readiness was uh, was up to speed, and a little bit of uh, training as a team with my Canadian staff. And, uh, and then next thing we knew, we were on a plane and joining HMCS Toronto.
0: Uh-huh. Now, tell me about the work uh, with HMCS Toronto. You were, um, did you catch them uh, around the Black Sea?
1: So we. We join HMCS Toronto in what uh, NATO calls, in the context of the standing NATO maritime groups, the dispersal period, the summer dispersal period. and uh, So that's a period of two weeks. There's one in the summer and, and one at Christmas where uh, it's kind of like the summer break for, for the staffs and, and for the, the, the ships that are assigned to the group because uh, we also need to provide people with a, a little bit of, of rest period. Uh, so that they can regenerate and, and be ready to, uh, to take on uh, the follow-on uh, aspects of the rotation. So we joined in the midst of that dispersal period, which was, it was not a bad uh, thing. In fact, it was a good thing from a Canadian uh, staff standpoint because uh, Toronto had uh, five months of a deployment uh, under their uh, under their belt by that point. So they were quite comfortable and well-established in, inside the standing NATO Maritime Group, too. And... Uh, and they were, uh, they were ready to answer uh, all our questions and, and familiarize the newly joining Canadian staff who didn't have the same amount of, uh, of experience in, in, uh, in months. So that after two weeks when the international staff rejoin, and in Toronto, uh, went to sea uh, for what was going to be right off the bat uh, a very dynamic Black Sea deployment. We were as familiar as uh, as we could be uh, at the onset of uh, of a of a of a very busy six months coming up.
0: Now, tell me about that dynamic deployment in the Black Sea. I, as I understand, you sailed all the way to uh, uh, Odessa, and then from there uh, to uh, the waters of what's now Russian-controlled Crimea, or near Crimea.
1: Yes. Right. So, so the, uh, the Black Sea deployment, of course, is, uh, was, would be twofold. So uh, it's, to, it's to demonstrate uh, NATO's uh, interest and presence in, in that area. NATO has uh, three allies and two partners, uh, in, uh, in it, which uh, coastline is in, is in the Black Sea. So, uh, so it makes sense that, that we show a presence in that area, same as we do in other areas where we have uh, NATO allies. Uh, and by the same token, while we were there, we were also uh, participating in two exercises, one uh, co-led by the Ukrainian Navy and the United States Navy off the coast of Ukraine, and that's why we went to Odessa was to prepare for those uh, for that exercise and also uh, to take part in a significant import program in support of Ukraine. And then after that exercise, we moved a little bit further southwest and uh, participated in another exercise led by the Bulgarian Navy at that, uh, at that point. So by participating in those two big exercises, uh, both uh, with uh, programs in port and program at sea, uh, by the same token, we were able to demonstrate uh, a significant NATO presence uh, in the Black Sea area.
0: Now, was there any interaction uh, with the Russian forces in in the area? Were they following what you were doing?
1: Absolutely. So the the, the Russians were there, but I mean, uh, you had to be uh, you had to expect it. The same thing as uh, as uh, you know we. Expected them to be there because it's in mm. it's in one of their uh, their areas of interest. Uh, you know they also uh, were quite aware of our presence, and so that was a mutual awareness of uh, of each other's presence and activities uh, in in the waters of of the Black Sea. Uh, from a NATO perspective, we exercised freedom of navigation, conducted our exercises in the international waters of the Black Sea, and we also conducted uh, some exercises. Materials and, and activities within the territorial waters of our allies, who had uh, invited us to participate in, in those exercises.
0: Hmm. What, uh, how would you characterize your interactions with the Russian Navy or uh, other Russian forces there?
1: Yeah, they were uh, they were um, um, you know, very um, active and, and and very obvious in, in making us uh, aware of their presence. Uh, most interactions uh, I would uh qualify as generally uh, safe and professional, according to uh, the law of the sea and and the practice of uh, of good seamanship. Uh, I would say that uh, they were quite assertive at times uh, they were not uh, in some instances uh, uh hesitating in, in perhaps uh, uh, closing the usual distances that they had been maintaining uh, up until then. Uh, but, you know, our response uh, was, was steady. It was according to uh, the direction and guidance that we had received from our chain of command. Uh, we exercise our, our right for freedom of navigation. And, and we do hope uh, and, and we would, uh, would certainly uh, expect that uh, future interactions with uh, Russian Federation forces will uh, be uh, safe and professional.
0: Can you uh, just for people who um, are not familiar with uh kind of the military uh, parlance and the, can you just give a, a practical example of how would uh the uh, the Russian forces dem- demonstrate that asser- assertiveness?
1: Oh well, they would uh you know they would uh navigate in the proximity of of, of some of our uh, exercise uh, area um and uh, you know, uh, probably following our uh, our movement. So if if the force is moving in a certain direction, they will probably move in the, in the same direction as as we are, so that they uh, they uh, position themselves in a way that uh, they can maintain that awareness of uh, of those activities that we are conducting. Uh, that's what we would, would say would call as uh, as shadowing. So so we would have been shadowed uh, for the most part of our time in the Black Sea.
0: And how close would they get? What uh, when you say proximity? Are we talking several hundred meters or uh, further away?
1: Now we're talking. Uh, we'll probably count the uh, the distance in in terms of miles, not not in terms of uh, of uh, any units that would be um, uh, shorter than that.
0: Okay. Now um, information is also a big uh, emerging as a big component of. Uh, Both Russian operations, uh, military operations, if there's hybrid operations, and uh, of uh, NATO, uh, how how that aspect played out, and how uh, does you know the Canadian doctrine fit with uh, the NATO um, doctrine on that? Yeah. So.
1: so uh we when we set sail in an area like that and and uh and we and we do forecast that there'll be some uh, some activities um you know the, all the ships in the force are subjected to uh to the nato uh to the nato direction of guidance and and we have to uh we have to be consistent in in applying that uh that that guidance um you know there there's a reporting responsibility and uh, and based on the evolution of of those activities and those interactions, uh, I guess the uh, you know the the way that we might act in future would be have to carefully analyze and 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 be i guess uh, refreshed and and promulgated uh, But I think that in the course of where we've uh, where we've been and the time length that we've been there, uh, we've been able to apply those uh, those guidelines in in a very consistent fashion. So, just give if me that answer is your question.
0: <laughs> give me an idea of what your plans are for the next uh, until the end of the year. So, are uh, you you're stopping? You have one stop in Portugal, and then you're going back into the Mediterranean and the Black Sea.
1: Yeah, so we'll be uh, we'll be uh, going back and forth a little bit. So uh, the plan for the rest of the year will be a combination of patrols in the Mediterranean, a series of exercises both in the Mediterranean, but we'll also be coming uh, back out in uh, in the uh, Spanish and and uh, Portuguese uh, uh, coast uh, of the Atlantic, uh, obviously, uh, to conduct an exercise where we will be working uh, in concert with the other Standing NATO Maritime Group, the uh, SNMG one. Uh, Sometime towards uh, the October time frame, uh, and that's uh, that's what we call a, uh, an integration period uh, where we are uh, where we're certifying units and and uh, the NATO response force uh, headquarters and staff uh, to be ready or to signal that they are ready to uh, to take on uh, the next rotation and and be prepared to be activated if NATO calls upon that. Uh, so that's going to be a, a significant exercise uh, out in the Atlantic and then we'll be back in the Mediterranean for uh, for more. Uh, exercises with uh, other uh, allies such as uh, Italy and uh, and more uh, and more patrol so so really uh, if i could qualify it it's a, it's a very uh, dynamic program which consists in in uh, in uh, patrol for for establishing real life patterns in our area and then, uh, and then generating ready forces uh, through a series of exercises mm-hmm.
0: I should have probably asked you this uh, at the beginning of the interview, but um, how big is the uh, NATO Atlantic Maritime Group too? How many warships are you commanding?
1: So it's a it's a dynamic group, and of course it's uh, it uh, it uh, uh, it's determined by the force law, and the force law is is the contribution from uh, from the various allies uh, of the alliance's uh, navies. So, for instance, for the Black Sea deployment at the onset of my uh, six-month command, uh, had a, a total of four ships, uh, including the, the flagship. Uh, the force has been uh, um, somewhat reduced now, so I have the flagship uh, only. But we will be regenerating more forces in the uh, uh, late August-September timeframe, uh, culminating, like I said, with that big exercise in October, uh, where we'll have a few more assets, and then, uh, and then, uh, um, you know, probably uh, see a, a reduction again. So, so it, it ebbs and flows. Uh, but depending on some commitment and some uh, high-intensity activities, uh, usually we see, uh, we see the group uh, increasing in, in size and in capability.
0: Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking to the, so much time to speak with me and explain uh, your mission.
1: Okay, my pleasure.